You're listening to the Selling Energy Podcast, turbocharging the success of sales professionals around the world. Here's your host, Wall Street Journal bestselling author and award-winning sales trainer, Mark Jewell. The best way to prosper yourself is to prosper others. The first time I heard that advice, I was a very young man sitting at the dinner table with my family. The topic that particular night was some variation of, what would you like to be when you grow up? After hearing my first few ideas, my father shared his simple 10-word suggestion for how to enjoy not only a successful career, but also personal fulfillment. Today, the lobby of our San Francisco headquarters features an inspiration wall that prominently displays my father's wise words and many others like them. That wall is the touchstone of what my team and I do every day. We teach fellow professionals how to enjoy greater success in their worlds by making others more successful. Learning to sell efficiency effectively is a phrase we use quite often in our work. Having witnessed efficiency decision-making in more than 3 billion square feet of real estate over the last 20 years, we found that very few people actually know how to sell efficiency. Most people simply promote it, as if it were a greater good like finding a cure for cancer or housing the homeless. In some circles, the concept of promoting efficiency is so pervasive, you'd think sell was a four-letter word. Many people are not very comfortable selling, even in settings where the notion of selling is not taboo. Why? Well, for one, the average salesperson receives less than three days of sales training in his or her entire career. Moreover, most of that is really product knowledge training, rather than teaching someone how to sell. Second, many sales training programs feature techniques that are no longer effective, given the increased sophistication and access to information that today's buyers bring to the table. Finally, most sales training programs are one-size-fits-all, as if one could sell efficiency the same way one might sell real estate, insurance, or photocopiers. Without a doubt, the efficiency industry needs to stop promoting its wares and start selling them. And in order for that to happen, many market actors will need training on how to sell efficiency effectively. The Efficiency Sales Professional Institute is not about drop-and-run training, where folks attend a fast-paced seminar to get motivated and educated, only to revert to their old attitudes and habits shortly thereafter. All of our offerings are designed with an eye toward drip irrigation content reinforcement to ensure that lessons learned are consistently applied to drive more sales and move efficiency forward. Our Sales Ninja blog is a perfect example of this philosophy. Every day of the year, we publish a short essay via our free app and email blog. Each essay either introduces or expands on a topic covered in our in-person and online offerings. Our workshops offer a wide variety of innovative mindsets, strategies, and tactics for selling efficiency effectively. The Sales Ninja piece provides daily reinforcement that helps those innovations stick. In the words of Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs fame, Innovation without imitation is a total waste of time. Our combination of revelation and repetition transforms ordinary salespeople into lifelong efficiency sales professionals. On a related note, one of my favorite quotes is, successful people do what unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. To be successful, you need more than a good idea. Turning a vision into a reality requires real work. Many of our subscribers have already shared how applying something they read in our blog allowed them to triumph in a sales situation. So it was an easy decision to compile some of our favorite essays into a book that would benefit an even larger audience. You may elect to read this book from start to finish, or you might turn to an essay at random when you need a dose of inspiration. Either way, we're confident you'll find plenty of insights that will help you prosper yourself by prospering others. What should you focus on? When you approach a prospect with a new project, you have a very limited amount of time to convince him or her that your product or service is a worthy investment of his or her time and money. 
For this reason, it's vital that you decide ahead of time what you're going to focus the conversation on. You can introduce your product or service in terms of its features, benefits, and or value. Which of these should you focus on? Which of these is the most likely to capture the attention of your prospect? Let's use an energy management system as an example. What are some of the features? It can track up to X thousand control points, it handles minute modulations of temperature, and it monitors and controls building loads. What are the benefits? You can facilitate commissioning. You can provide visibility of equipment. You can gain insight into occupants' comfort. You can enable automated demand response strategies in territories where it's worth doing so. What's the value? The public sees that you're a green company. You have a better handle on comfort and control. Your occupants are happier, more productive, more likely to stay. And you get the ability to brag about an amenity that neighboring buildings don't have. Now, after reading the features, benefits, and value of this hypothetical energy management system, which category do you think a potential buyer would be most interested in discussing? I can confidently tell you that most people are not going to buy the energy management system because of its features or even its benefits. Why? Features and benefits lack emotional appeal. Remember, most decisions are made emotionally and then justified financially. If you can connect the product or service with something that the prospect truly values and desires, you'll be miles ahead of the salesperson that squanders valuable selling time discussing technical specs and simple benefits. The perils of jumping to conclusions. It's easy to jump to conclusions about why a reluctant buyer is not saying yes. As a sales professional, it's your job to figure out exactly what your prospects need to hear or see in order to eliminate their reservations. Unfortunately, people are not always verbal on or even aware of the reasons for their reluctance. It's important not to jump to conclusions before you get to the bottom of it. The following efficiency sales story illustrates this concept. The president of a large mechanical contractor, we'll call him Jonathan, attended one of our two-day Learning to Sell Efficiency Effectively trainings. Midway through the seminar, he shared a story about a salesperson on his team who was trying to close a big sale. The prospect wasn't biting, so the salesperson dropped the price by nearly a half a million dollars. He was shocked to find the prospect still wouldn't buy, even with the significantly lower price. Hint, if you think price is the reason your prospect is not saying yes, you should read Escaping the Price-Driven Sale, a book by Tom Snyder and Kevin Kearns. Its findings are the product of studying about a thousand sales situations to discover just how often price was the deciding factor in winning the order. It's a real eye-opener. Anyway, back to the story. Jonathan decided it was time to get involved. As the president of the firm, he set up a meeting with the prospect and through skillful questioning and observation, discovered the real reason the prospect hadn't said yes already. And guess what? It had nothing to do with price. The salesperson was thrilled that his boss helped him close the deal. There was only one problem. Even though they had finally addressed what had been holding the prospect back, and they were now ready to ink the deal, they were still stuck with a half-million-dollar discount the salesperson had volunteered before he learned what the real problem was. That salesperson, and I intentionally say salesperson, not sales professional, didn't thoroughly evaluate the situation. If he had, he would have said to himself, I am not going to take a half a million dollars of my company's gross margin off the table just because I have a feeling that my prospect thinks the price is too high. I'm first going to see if there's anything other than price that might be preventing this prospect from giving us the green light on this project. I heard the other day that the fastest growing segment of the couple of billion dollar year sales training industry in North America is business acumen training for salespeople. This story certainly gives ample evidence of how an overzealous salesperson who does not understand the negative impact of surrendering a half million dollars of gross margin could really damage his company's financial health while being single-mindedly focused on boosting his own commissions. 
Now make sure your negotiating strategy doesn't just default to the lowest common denominator. Let's just drop the price and see if that makes the prospect say yes. Rather, base your strategy on the answers you receive after carefully questioning the prospect what he's really feeling. Jump into conclusions without first thoughtfully assessing why your prospect hasn't already given you the green light will result in longer than necessary sales cycles and greatly reduce closing ratios. What do they really want? Let's face it, energy efficiency is not always at the top of everyone's list of priorities. You may find yourself in a situation where your prospect doesn't think of an energy efficiency upgrade as the best use of capital. What can you do in a case like this? Find out what does sit atop their list of priorities. You may not be able to help them fulfill their entire wish list. However, what if you reframed your efficiency offering and demonstrated that the value they would experience by approving your project would provide a path to achieving their most cherished goals? I recently gave a keynote presentation on the East Coast for about 500 energy control specialists. Afterwards, someone in the audience approached me at the podium and shared a great story that exemplifies this kind of outside-the-box thinking. He told me he'd been trying to sell a school system on a major HVC renovation project for many months. The district's budget director candidly shared with him, listen, improving our HVAC system is simply not our highest priority right now. What we're really focused on is our computerization initiative. We've already told our board that we're going to have 1,600 iPads by this time next year, one for each child in grades five and above. We think the iPad project will really help us see better learning outcomes in our district. Bottom line, we need to focus our attention on getting those iPads before we even think about any HVC projects. Now, a typical salesperson would have heard that reasoning and said, ugh, cross these guys off the list. This is never going to happen. A sales professional, which this person was, would not give up so easily. Sure enough, he said to the budget director, that makes sense. Let me ask you, though, do you have the dollars already allocated to procure those iPads? The director responded, well, we haven't figured that out yet, but we'll probably wind up leasing them from Apple. This sales professional took it upon himself to go to Apple to see what such a lease would cost. Shortly thereafter, he came back to the district with a proposal. I did a little research, and it turns out that you can lease those 1,600 iPads for X dollars a month. And guess what? The monthly savings you'll enjoy once you install the HVC improvements that I had originally proposed to you should more than cover the debt service on those iPads. Moreover, while your utility would never give you an incentive to reduce the first cost of those iPads, they will give you money to help you pay for those HVC improvements, which will in turn generate enough savings to pay for the iPads. Bottom line, if you do what I'm suggesting, you'll be able to not only check the box for the school board on the iPads, but also improve the thermal comfort of your classrooms, which if I may speak frankly, will likely have a bigger impact on learning outcomes, student attendance, and perhaps even teacher attendance in your district than the bump you're hoping to see from those iPads. Now, not surprisingly, the sales professional secured approval for his HVC project shortly thereafter. Several weeks after he had closed the deal, he ran into a few of his competitors at a networking event. They could not believe the district had approved the HVC project. They said, what? How did you pull that one off? We've been pitching them on HVC retrofit for nearly two years with virtually nothing to show for our efforts. The sales professional dryly replied, it wasn't an HVC project, it was an iPad project. And then he walked away, leaving his competitors scratching their heads. This is exactly the kind of lateral thinking that you as an efficiency sales professional should be using with all of your prospects. As General Eisenhower once said, whenever I run into a problem I can't solve, I always try to make it bigger. He went on to explain that if he made the problem big enough, he could begin to see the outlines of a solution. In so many cases, the problem is not what you think it is. It's usually slightly beyond the margins of what you think you need to solve. 
something else is interacting with the situation and causing it to be a problem. So that is what you should be doing, looking for the bigger or adjacent problem and solving it first. Less is more. Most sales professionals are asked to give presentations from time to time. If someone says you'll have 60 minutes to present, do not create 60 slides. What's going to happen if you have 60 slides? You'll be rushing through them, or worse yet, you'll be strolling through them very leisurely, perhaps getting derailed by a couple of offbeat questions, maybe even a personal story, and then you'll look up at the clock, and you'll be horrified to find that you only have 20 minutes left. You'll still have 40 slides to get through, and it'll be a disaster. Everybody in the audience will get increasingly uncomfortable. You won't have time to cover the remaining slides in sufficient detail, and your audience will grow increasingly anxious about whether or not you'll be able to finish your presentation in time. Believe me, an anxious audience is a lot less receptive to your ideas. Now, how do you make sure that you don't go over your allotted time or have to rush through your slides? Rule number one, you practice your delivery. Rule number two, if you're given an hour, you make about 25 minutes worth of slides. Face it, you know you're going to start five or ten minutes late. You know you're going to be interrupted by a couple of questions. You know you're going to want to have Q&A at the end. You know you're going to want to have an open-ended discussion to take your audience's temperature after you finish your remarks. You should also factor in the possibility that one of your most valuable attendees may have to leave the meeting early. So you really have to design your presentation with all these contingencies in mind. Here's a tip. Before you start delivering your presentation, check in to make sure you still have the agreed-upon time for the presentation. Also, ask the audience directly if anybody expects to leave early. Probably 50% of the time, someone's going to pipe up and say, well, now that you mention it, I've got a plane to catch, so I'll have to leave here about 15 minutes early to catch my ride to the airport. You should always put the last slide first, because if that person is the ultimate decision maker and you don't reach that point in your presentation before he or she has to leave early to catch that plane, believe me, you'll be kicking yourself the entire way home. Now, we could write an entire book on effective presentation techniques. In fact, the Efficiency Sales Professional Bootcamp features several modules on presenting effectively. For now, though, let's just do a little math. Whoever came up with that rule of how many words to put on a slide, no more than five bullets, and no more than six words per bullet. This rule is absolutely ridiculous. Think about it. Five words times six bullets times 60 slides amounts to 1,800 words. That's more words than the average college term paper. And that's at a good school. Do you really expect your audience to read the equivalent of an entire college term paper over your shoulder while you're talking during the course of a single hour long presentation that starts late and is interrupted by questions? Now we know why PowerPoint calls them bullets. They kill audiences. My favorite kind of presentation, all pictures, no words on the slides. Now that gets an audience's attention. Try it yourself. Be a storyteller, not a narrator. You'll be amazed and so will your audience. The unforeseen benefit. Following up with your past customers allows you to not only confirm they received the benefits you promised them originally, but also discover if they experienced any unexpected benefits. I was privileged to do a training session for a group of home performance contractors in New England. I asked the audience, how many of you go back and talk to every customer to make sure that they receive the benefits you promised them when you sold the job? Less than half the audience raised their hands, which unfortunately is not surprising. I then asked, how many of you asked your customers if there were any other benefits that they realized in the wake of the improvement that you had not promised them when selling a job? Even fewer hands went up. One of the few people who did raise his hand said that he had asked this exact question to a woman who had hired him to do a whole home insulation project. 
as expected, the insulation reduced her heating bill in the New England winter. But what she said next really caught this contractor's attention. She said, you know, I was all about the energy savings at first, and seeing that come true was certainly great. Everything worked out just as you said it would, but what's really interesting is that after you put that insulation in my wall, I can no longer hear the street noise. In fact, I can now watch my TV shows with the volume set three notches lower. Wouldn't it be awesome to have an abundance of non-energy benefits for each of your products and services that you could use to convince new prospects to buy? Make an effort to discover what unforeseen benefits your customers are appreciating in the wake of your completed projects and use that information to strengthen your value proposition for your next prospect. 